0: Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age, a dialogue with representatives of a global multi-stakeholder community.
1: And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm talking with Glyn Moody. Glyn, welcome to the program. Thank you. Allow me to introduce Glenn. You are a freelance journalist, author, and speaker. Now you've been writing about computer technology for over 39 years. Uh, Wrote a number of books on the topics, has contributed and written over 1,700 articles in well-known magazines and newspapers like The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, Financial Times, Economist, Wired. So that's quite impressive. And you are also the author of the blog, Open Dot Dot Dot. Again, welcome to the program. Thanks for the invitation. And Glenn, the reason we're here is because of your latest book, which is called The Walled Culture. And this book is about big content. Maybe you can explain a bit uh, more. What's the book about and why did you read it, uh, 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 write it? Sorry.
0: Well, in some ways, it's a follow-up to previous books that I wrote. I, as you rightly say, I've been writing about the digital world for a very long time now. And previously, I wrote a book called Rebel Code, mm-hmm. which is about open source and free software. In fact, I wrote it 20 years ago. And at that time, nobody really thought open source or free software was going to do much, whereas as you and your listeners well know, uh, it's taken over the entire computing world. And what's interesting about that is that it's based on the free sharing of information and this kind of open collaborative model, um, which is something that's actually spread to other fields. And in many ways, walled culture is the other side of the coin it's about people who want to shut things down who don't want information to be shared and that essentially is the the copyright industry big content as you say Mm -hmm. because their business model is based on controlling who shares what and so it's really a look at the threats of copyright to in effectively the entire internet world because again as you know the internet is essentially a digital copying machine It works by taking files, making copies, and sending them over the internet. And therefore, copyright is trying to control what the internet does at its very heart. And there has been this tension between what copyright wants and what the internet does for the last 30 years. And and wall culture is really about making it explicit, that problem, the fact that they are fundamentally incompatible.
1: OK, give me an example how uh, people responsible for copyright, how that manifests itself. Well, I mean, if you look
0: at the history of digital copyright, it's been essentially trying to make water unwet. It's trying to stop people making copies of digital files. And the way they've done that is typical copyright law says you can't make a copy. When that didn't work in the late 1990s, both the US and the EU brought in laws that made it illegal to circumvent protection. So when you had digital protection around a file, some kind of copy protection mechanism, it became illegal to circumvent that even for legal purposes. So for example, if you had a copyright protection around something that you had a right to use, you still couldn't circumvent that copy protection. You had to get the permission from the publisher to to use something that you already had a right to. So it was a kind of second layer of rights.
1: Okay, now uh, I, I was trying to see what this would mean uh, when I want access to information. And um, I just go online, I search, uh, use a search engine, uh, find something. Um, is this uh, uh, now you, you're stating that uh, a, a, a subset of the information I would be looking for is not there because it's protected by copyright? And not not only that, when when you do find it,
0: um, if somebody decides that they don't want you to see that information, they can use copyright to take it down. So information that may well be in the public interest, I mean, particularly in, in the context of accountability, is routinely being taken down by governments and companies because they don't want people to find this information and read what it says, and copyright is the tool they use to take it down even though okay. copyright is supposed to be about creativity it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be about censorship but it has become an instrument of censorship
1: okay now we come to the heart of the point uh, the problem i'm assuming so copyright is not protecting those authors who created something and uh, make certain that they get a fair share when somebody you, reads the book of uh you just listen to the music it's uh if i understand you correctly your point is this it's being abused to take down information which should be uh, publicly available.
0: Yes, that's right. I mean, there's, there's sort of a whole range of material that is being affected. So you might have, for example, government documents that show, you know, uh, maladministration, and you might ha- find corruption within companies, and a whistleblower might place these online. And according to the law, the copyright of those documents would be with the government or with the company. And they can use these very stringent copyright laws to demand that they're taken down. And basically, the internet companies have to comply with that. So it's a very powerful weapon, which we've seen deployed a lot. But there's a more general sense in which copyright is used to restrict the flow of information. Because, for example, in the academic publishing industry, this is research the vast majority of which you and I pay for. I mean, it's mostly tax funded, the research in universities. And therefore you might think we should have access to the results of that research because we pay for it. So it'd be quite nice if we could see it. But the academic publishing industry has grown up into an immensely profitable uh, sector. Some companies have 35%, 40% profit margins, effectively selling back to us access to the information that we paid for. So there's two kinds
1: of abuses going on there really okay um, are you able to or are you willing to share the, the, you could say uh, a little bit more concrete um, the type of industries i mean is this uh, are we talking about governments taking it down or commercial organizations who are these people who are or organizations who are making uh, or abusing the the copyright law um yeah, it's basically anyone who has something to hide uh,
0: that has been exposed typically by whistleblowers. I mean, as we've seen over the years, the the whistleblowing has become a a hugely important way of finding out about the banking sector, the finance sector. And um, typically, copyright is used to try to get those documents taken down when they appear on major services. Um, you know, the, the lawyers are deployed and they invoke copyright. They, they don't, there's, there's nothing else they can really complain about. But they say, this is copyright material. You have no right to actually distribute it. It's against the law. Take it down. And so that's become quite a common tactic.
1: And this actually reminds me of why the Institute for Accountability was founded. Is wh- mm-hmm. One of the, the main reasons was also uh, the right to be forgotten, uh, the European GDPR law. Mm-hmm. Um, where people can make use of that law and organizations in general to take down something with if it's uh, abusing that power, uh, if, if it's um, if it's incorrect information. Sorry yep. yep. um, so it, it seems like we have two situations. One, you can GDPR, you're taking it down rightfully because it's incorrect and one you are taking it down because you want to hide something but could um could also the gdpr be used um to also take down something you feel uh, should not be on, on the internet do you have you seen examples of that as well
0: i mean as you know the gdpr is still quite young law and therefore i think the contours of that law are still being defined Um, And I don't think it's clear yet to what extent, you know, it can be abused and is abused. But I think there's certainly the potential there because in the same way that people invoke copyright and therefore companies get nervous, Mm -hmm. similarly, because the fines for the GDPR, as you know, can be pretty massive. As soon as a lawyer starts invoking GDPR, then obviously a company tends to err on the side of caution. And I think that's part of the problem, uh, particularly with copyright is that Uh, the fines uh, potentially are really quite large because they were designed for pre-internet age. So, copyright law is essentially designed for um, combating criminal piracy. In other words, where you have, you know, the mafia or someone similar carrying out piracy on a massive scale, like millions of copies and making millions of euros profit. It's not designed for A, you and me when we upload a picture that somebody objects to, or B, When a whistleblower uploads a document, which has nothing to do with financial rewards, but is about uh, accountability and access to information.
1: Okay. Now, who is your uh, designated audience? Who do you want to read this book? Well, uh, it's very
0: interesting that if you stop someone in the street and say, what do you think about copyright? They will almost certainly say, yeah, I think it's great. I think, you know, artists should be protected. And of course, you know, we all agree with that. The problem is copyright doesn't do that if you look at the figures and i quote a number in the book the actual sort of average earnings for writers and musicians is appalling i mean it's it's less than the kind of average earnings of, of people in other industries and very often it's almost starvation wages why people take side jobs and so copyright isn't doing what it should be doing so what i would like is for people who think copyright is uh uh, you know, an unbounded good and is just there to protect the artists, are made aware that, in fact, it's not doing what it claims to do, as in reward artists fairly, but it is also harming the internet uh, in the ways we've just described, in terms of taking down information that we would like to see, or indeed, you know, we've paid for. So there are the, the two sides to the problem, really.
1: OK, I understand that. But uh, coming back to the question, uh, is this a book for the general public or is this a book for specialists? If so, who would you go to first? So, hey, please take an audience.
0: OK, so I suppose it's for the intelligent public in the sense that I'm—you know, my books aren't easy. Uh, I do demand that people think and I, I do throw a lot of information at them. But I suppose a, a typical audience would be young people who use the Internet because they really understand the power of the internet and they also already understand the threats to it. And it's very interesting how, uh, as I describe in the book, there have been a number of uh, instances in which young people have taken to the streets. One was the Stop Online Piracy Act of 10 years ago, which the US is going to bring. And the other one is the Acta Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, which a few years back the European Union was going to bring in. And literally hundreds of thousands of mostly young people took to the streets because they understood they were threats, these two um, particular proposals, threats to the internet. So they already understand that the internet obviously is central to their lives and is threatened by what seemed to be really quite obscure bits of law, one about piracy and one about trade agreements, but it embedded within them, were very strong copyright proposals, which would have done many of the things that I was describing before in terms of limiting the access to knowledge and causing things to be taken down. So young people in particular, I think, are are a very important audience for this book.
1: Okay, and uh, how about WIPO? Uh, Would they be uh, interested in this book? Well, I would love them to consider some of the issues.
0: I mean, part of the problem is that being an organization about intellectual property they have a vested interest in supporting that idea, whereas what I'm saying in this is that there are problems with copyright, and I, you know, I don't know how honest they would be in accepting that. I'm sure some would do, but I'm, I'm sure many would think, "Well, our job is to defend copyright. Why should we listen to you?" And I think that's part of the problem that you know there are a lot of people who earn a nice living defending copyright, and so I, I don't see myself as addressing them because. I think it's probably unreasonable to expect them to have a Damascene conversion and say, you're right, I've wasted my life. I shouldn't really be defending this. Yes.
1: Okay, now, but uh, it's, the core, it's the heart of the book about, you could say, the abuse the copyright law uh, brings or the fact that because we've gone digital, the whole copyright law as we know it needs to be updated into this digital age. Yes to both of those.
0: Everything derives from the fact that copyright was drawn up first of all in 1710 by the Statute of Anne in England. And it is about an analog world where it's hard to make copies. When you move to a digital world where it's trivially easy to make copies, it's no wonder that you have problems. And the, the, the central problem is that the lawmakers haven't understood this. They are still making copyright law as if it were an analog world. That leads to the abuses that we've talked about. If you had a copyright law that understood and accepted the digital world—I mean, let's assume that's possible for the moment. I don't even know if it is, but let's assume it is. Then you could at least stop the abuses. But because you've got a law which is fundamentally ill-suited for the reality of a digital world,
1: it's easy for clever lawyers to find ways to abuse it. Okay. Now I can almost guess what type of solutions you have in mind, but maybe um, maybe you can share me what. Uh, What's the way forward, Uh, having now addressed the issue? uh, okay.
0: so I suppose there are kind of short term and long term. I mean, long term, you know, I think we should get rid of copyright. But obviously, you need some way to get there. Unfortunately, over the last 10 years, we've seen alternative ways of supporting creativity. Uh, It's sometimes summed up in the true fans idea, which was first um, sort of written about by Kevin Kelly in 2008. And it's the idea that if you can somehow get your core fans, the ones who really love your work, to support you directly. In other words, they don't buy a book or a piece of music. They send money to you directly. So you get 100 percent of the money, not 10 percent after the intermediaries like the publishers and recording companies have taken their cut. Yeah. Then you only need to have a fairly small number of core supporters
1: to give you enough money to live on and to create Okay, now I understand, I accept that and I understand the model you're pr- uh, proposing, uh, but we've also seen examples in the music industry where, s- where somebody would just uh, sample somebody else's music uh, and yeah. how do you then would get uh, re- uh, re- repaid for the, the use of that information if there's no okay. copy anymore.
0: Okay, so yeah, I, I actually don't think that's a problem. I actually, in this model, would encourage people to make copies and to share them. Now, the reason for that is because once you take out the concerns of the intermediaries who take the 90% of the money for doing relatively little, because with the internet, it's much easier to have direct contact. Then you don't really care about people making copies provided you can get enough of your core fans to pay you. So those copies that are made become marketing. When more people find out about your music or read your book, the chances are that you'll find more people who say, this is absolutely fantastic. I've got to have more of it. Can I give you, you know, 100 euros a year to help you write more? So when you turn it on its head, those so-called pirated copies stop being a problem. They actually become part of the solution.
1: Okay. Um, For me, it feels like we're still a long way before we've changed that thinking in people because we still live in this... You could say world where unique value propositions are so important and key. So it's mine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but but it's already.
0: I mean, and you can see that through the rise of platforms like uh, crowdfunding, Patreon. Yep. These uh, these are, it's already a big market. In the book, I um, noted that it's estimated that collectively there doing about $17 billion a year, those crowdfunding platforms, and it's estimated to rise to $43 billion in a few years' time. You know, this is a lot of money, and when you think that that money goes directly to the artists, then that's equivalent to like 10 times that in terms of the revenue of the intermediaries because the artists only get 5 to 10% of that revenue. So that a smaller crowdfunding market equates to a much bigger intermediary market. So you're right, um, there's still a lot of this ownership mentality that it's mine and nobody must take it. But I think that there is some understanding, not least amongst young people who are the ones that tend to use these platforms, that if they support the artists they love, okay. they can get a direct connection and a direct benefit.
1: Okay. Uh, oh, I see and I, I see, I follow your argument, Gief. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, at least the positive side is um, you have defined a 21st century solution for a 21st century issue. Basically, you you see the solution in this digital technology issue, Hmm. using digital technology to solve it. That's right. Basically, the problem arises from the internet, but
0: I think the solution is the internet too, because the internet allows artists to connect directly with their fans, and it allows the fans to send money to the artists very easily. So you're actually, it's the, the old disintermediation argument.
1: Okay, and what can we do about uh, the situation where to date information is brought down which whistleblowers or somebody else puts up there then uh, abusing the the, the copyright law?
0: To address that, I mean, I think uh, what is beginning to happen is that whistleblowing protection laws are coming through. And I think that's really important because it recognizes that some information should be out there and that it shouldn't be brought down using copyright. So I think we've got to say copyright cannot be invoked as a way to take down the things that are actually good for society to know. And that would also be quite good because at the moment there's this idea that copyright is sacred, that copyright is such a good thing for society that it must never be broken. A good example of that, for example, is the Marrakesh Treaty, which is a a treaty which allows uh, the visually impaired to take copyright materials, written materials and convert them into a form that they can use like braille or other kinds of technologies. And for 30 years, the copyright industry blocked that treaty because they said, we can't do this because it would represent a weakening of copyright and copyright is so important. It actually is more important than the, the visually impaired being able to read. I mean you know that's just outrageous and i think there's still this mentality in many quarters that copyright is so good and so important it must never be touched so if you bring in laws about whistleblowing and say well actually no whistleblowing is more important than copyright it begins to break this wall the walled culture the idea that copyright is sacred and must never ever be weakened because it's one of the interesting things if you look at the history of copyright it only ever gets stronger it started out in 1710, lasting for 14 years with a 14-year extension. And then over the centuries, it's gone up today to being life plus 70 years, which is more like 140 years. And it's, whenever you suggest weakening copyright, the entire copyright industry loses its mind. I mean, there is no sense of balance in copyright. It's always in favor of the companies because they they always invoke the artist, but the yeah. artists never actually see any benefit. So we need to change this idea that copyright is sacrosanct. And I think whistleblowing laws are a good example of how to
1: do that. Okay. Well, you gave the audience something to think about in a sense that, hey, uh, what's copyright today and what it could be tomorrow. And there's some examples of how it's being uh, abused in this digital age. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that information because it does show that it is being abused, if I understand you correctly, to uh, avoid people to be held accountable by yep, certainly taking away information. That's where it very much touches uh, on what uh, our institute is about. So, uh, Glenn, I really want to thank you for yeah giving that insight and give us a, a little bit of uh, insight in uh, digital right. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, a copyright in the digital age. Oh, and thanks for so your interest, one. Thanks Thank you so much. Pleasure.